0: If I had to describe Eric Larson's writing style, I would say it's like he plops words on the page. I mean, it just... <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, readers, I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 204. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, first off, I'd like to thank you all for helping us celebrate our 200th episode a couple of weeks ago. I know many of you shared the show with your friends and family, and we've seen lots of new listeners, so thank you. And as a reminder for all you longtime listeners, if you're a completist who just can't start something without completing the whole series, we have something just for you. We created a 200 Club badge to share on Instagram for when you've listened to the first 200 episodes. You can find that on our Instagram feed at What Should I Read Next? So feel free to grab that image, use it, and share it. For all you new listeners, welcome aboard. The show can be listened to in any order, backwards or forwards, although our producer Brenna assures readers that backwards really is best. But if you find the idea of binging 200 episodes daunting, We've made a Spotify playlist of my 30 favorite episodes so that you have an easy place to start. You can find that playlist at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash Spotify. Today I'm talking books with David Crozy, an Iowa reader who's woven a love of literature into all aspects of his life. The waiting room of his chiropractic practice, the bar with a group of friends, and quality time spent with his wife. David loves larger-than-life nonfiction, especially if it reads like an intense thriller. So today, I'm hooking him up with exactly that. Let's get to it. David, welcome to the show. Hey there. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning from Iowa, isn't it?
0: That's correct. Yes, Iowa. I'm a chiropractor. And uh just want to say a special thanks to you. Um, you actually accompany my wife and I on a date night almost every week. Every Friday, we have this routine where we go for about a six mile walk with our dog. And a while back, we learned about your podcast, but we usually chat for the first couple miles. And then we listen to like a true crime podcast. And then after that, we need something a little bit more positive, so to speak. And so you come after that. <laughs>
1: True crime. And what should I read next?
0: Yeah, you and Dirty John and Dr. Death. It's it's great company. So (laughs) it's a little bit weird, but it works for us.
1: Well, I like it. Now I have questions about the logistics of listening to a podcast with somebody else on a walk. How do you all actually do this with your technology?
0: We have a little Bluetooth speaker and then the walk that we do, there's not a lot of people, but in general, if people are, are out there enjoying nature, I'll like pause at any time that we're coming close to somebody.
1: So you're listening on the speaker. Okay, what I'm thinking of now is my town. A couple times a year, we have this Cycluvia thing for Louisville where they close the streets. It's modeled after the city in Argentina that started it. And there are always these guys that show up with this giant boombox. So they ride up and down the two-mile stretch that's closed. All Sunday afternoon when they do it and they're blasting 80s music. But you and your wife are blasting What Should I Read Next through the trail. I know you're not going to say blasting, but I'm really liking this visual.
0: Yeah, so we keep it pretty quiet. Does the dog like What Should I Read Next? Mm, We actually let her off leash and so she's out looking for deer.
1: She's more of a Dirty John fan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
1: We were so interested to get your application because it sounds like you're a reader who has brought your love of reading into your day job in a way that we found really interesting. Also, my husband had recently read one of your favorites and he's like, oh yeah, I got to hear what David thought about that book. Nice. What led you to send in your submission, David?
0: For a period of time, my wife would really egg me on as a reader. Oh, what are you reading now? And if I wasn't reading something, she'd kind of harass me about it, quite frankly. (laughs) But within my office, you know, I do have conversations with people. I just want to know what they're into. And so if I got somebody that's a reader, you know, I'd be asking them what exactly they're into. Just super fun conversations. Um, There are people in chiropractic that come in about once a month. And so I get to ask, you know, hey, what are you reading in your book club currently? And do you like it? And so getting recommendations in my office is just really fun. And years ago, probably back in about 2010, came up with this idea of putting a clipboard up in our reception area. And uh, we asked people to write down the book that they're most thankful for. I got to say that just wording the question that way, it made for like the coolest list. I mean, if we had just said, what's your favorite book? you'd get one list. But when you say, what book are you most thankful for? Mm -hmm. We just got the most amazing list of books because it opened up, you know, things like uh, five love languages. It it was amazing. And the coolest thing was that, you know, we get some teenagers in our office that sometimes they come in, they're a little bit sullen and quiet, but even the kids, even preteens, we'd ask them to write down the book they're most thankful for and instantly they would write one down. So it was super fun.
1: So something I love about talking about books and reading is that it's a shortcut to talking about the stuff that really matters, that's really fascinating in life. And yet I'm thinking of all the times I went to the chiropractor as a teenager after a car wreck. Not a big deal car wreck, but still, you know, you're a little messed up in the neck and shoulders if you get Mm rear-ended. I just remember all these conversations about the weather Mm -hmm. and allergies. We always have allergies to talk about in Louisville. And I would have been so delighted if someone had asked me about what I was reading in book club instead.
0: You know, a lot of the books, I would actually go and read them. Probably the most powerful one, this guy came in, he was a financial advisor. And if you ever met a guy that just seemed like he had the world in the palm of his hands I mean this guy had a successful business He seemed to have like picture-perfect family and then his hobby He was like a pilot for skydivers So he'd like take these skydivers up and let them jump out of his plane And uh, and so he came in and he had written something down on our list up front And as he came back I said, you know, what book did you write down? And he told me that he had written down this um, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie Have you read that?
1: I have. I actually just read that recently because my book coming out in March is called Don't Overthink It. And someone suggested that I read this to see how the concerns between 1948 and 2019, thinking too much about the wrong things and not doing ourselves any good in the process, they weren't that different in 1948. I mean, a lot has changed, obviously, but a lot of the concerns that my friends and I talk about today appear on the pages of that book. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Well, I want to ask you, like, what book would you say you're most thankful for or two books?
1: Oh, that's a big question, David. (laughs) And you're right. It is a different question than what's a book you love or what's your favorite book? Do you have an answer to that?
0: Oh, yeah. I end up saying the five love languages every year just because my wife and I are so different. (laughs) And like, I'm a quality time person and she's a gift giver. And the majority of our fights through our, our relationship together, it's like there were just these differences in our love languages where you know, interestingly, I need more quality time than she does. And and she would say, Oh, you're needy. And I'm like, you know, that's how I I receive love.
1: Yeah, I think a book like that, that can really open your eyes to how you're interacting in many of your relationships can be so valuable. I mean, it's a book that changes your life and your Mm -hmm. relationships. Well, I can tell you at the moment, I just returned from a booksellers conference and I got a copy of a new book that I have been desperate to read since I first found out it was being written. And that is the new Emily St. John Mandel. This is not the book I'm most thankful for in my life, but it is definitely the book that I am most thankful for right now.
0: Okay. Nice.
1: (laughs) Probably not what you had in mind when you put out that clipboard, but I've been waiting a long time and I was ready to kiss the bookseller who put it into my hands. (laughs) I was like, you don't by any chance have one of those for me, do you? And she crawled under the table and pulled out a copy and uh, Jessica at Penguin Random is my new best friend.
0: Nice. I love it. No, people definitely write the book that they've read most recently that really, really moved them or that they're excited about.
1: Do you compile the books on that clipboard? Do you leave them out so that all your patients can see? What do you do with that information?
0: Yes, it goes in our email newsletter and...
1: Oh, good. I wonder if your patients ever strike up conversations in the waiting room about what they wrote on the clipboard or read.
0: Yeah, a lot of that.
1: Now, tell me a little bit about your book club with a twist that you started this yourself, right? You're not solely a participant.
0: That's correct. Um, like I said, my for a long time, my wife was the one that pushed me to read more. But really, there are people that I would just connect with talking about books. And what I really realized is that these people, they're quite different in what they're really focused in. Some are athletes. I have a lot of athletes as patients. Entrepreneurs, anybody that's an entrepreneur, I get really excited to learn what they're doing and what books they're reading. Um, anybody that's in leadership, you know, I'm always interested in what they recommend or what their favorite book is and just goal-oriented people in general. And so I wanted to start a book club, but I wanted it to kind of attract people that are goal-oriented people. And so I ended up calling this this group the Inspired Book and Brew Crew. Basic criteria is the book needs to be inspiring at some level. Could be fiction, nonfiction, biography, you know, an actual improve your life type book. But then in our meetings, we actually just focus on how the books can like help us reach goals or how it applies in our life. So I haven't actually been to a book club other than mine. So I don't know how a typical (sighs) book club runs, but it feels a little bit different. The other thing that we did, uh, we added this portion of the meeting for setting what are called penalty goals. Are you familiar with that concept?
1: We're not talking about hockey, are we? No. (laughs) Is this where if you fail to show up for your morning workouts, your friend sends the check to the organization you despise in your name?
0: Yeah, that is the concept. I mean, if you look at most people's life, we only have true accountability in our full-time jobs where somebody is like giving us a deadline and telling us what to do. But you look at somebody like me, I mean, I don't. I, I own my business. And so if I don't get the job done, there's no penalty. At the end of our monthly meetings, each person, if they choose, can set a goal of something that they're gonna accomplish and that they can actually measure. And then they set a penalty that if they don't get it done, then they have to do the penalty the first meeting this young lady came in and she works at an interior design company, but she was starting a side business. And she said that she would uh, set up her website for her business. And if she didn't get it done, then she'd have to pay a hundred dollars to her sister-in-law that she's really not a big fan of. Oh no. I know. And the most common one, since we do meet at actually breweries is like people just say, if I don't get my, my goal done, then I just have to buy the next round at the next meeting. But it's been a lot of fun.
1: What kinds of goals are people setting?
0: Uh, Some of them are athletic. I mean, there's a guy that set a goal to ride a thousand miles in a month. There's a a lady who is a pharmacist, but she's actually more interested in getting into natural health. And so she'll set goals related to setting up her website or truly like locking down this vision of like this future business. Along with my chiropractic business, I'm starting an online course business. So I'll set goals related to getting my side hustle going. There's a young lady that wants to become a yoga instructor. And so I know she set a goal of like going to like four different yoga studios and just trying these different gurus and seeing which one she resonates with.
1: So the goals aren't necessarily reading related.
0: No, I don't think we've had anybody set a a reading related goal. It's all just uh, whatever is important to them, whatever they want to do, but, but a deadline is going to help them accomplish it. I mean, you really get to know what people are interested in. And we also had one lady that's a very driven type of person, and her goal was to like meditate or to journal. The people that come to the group, sometimes <laughs> they need to slow down and relax and reflect more. You learn a lot about who's in the room when they're sharing that, that kind of thing.
1: What have you all read with this book club?
0: Um, we started with actually Shawshank Redemption by Stephen King, which is one of my favorite books and favorite movie. And I know you're not a huge Stephen King fan, but...
1: No, but I've been meaning to read that one.
0: I would tell you Dolores Claiborne is probably the best audiobook I've ever read. It's just incredible. It's one where my wife and I like sat in the car for like 30 minutes. Wow. And it doesn't have any supernatural and it's not a true horror story. But we read Shawshank Redemption. Um, we read Chop Wood, Carry Water... We read "The Power of One," can't hurt me, and then tonight we're going to be talking about the ideal team player.
1: Nice. So it's not just business nonfiction.
0: No, at all. no, that would be kind of boring. I think. <laughs> so no, I mean, uh, some of them have been pretty short. I mean, that "Chop Wood, Carry Water" is a shorter parable-style book. But have you ever read "The Power of One"?
1: I have, just in the past, I think, five years after being told for ages to read it from readers who say, oh my gosh, this is my favorite book ever. I really enjoyed it and was glad that I finally got around to it. But oh man, there are some very difficult parts. No doubt. But I think that's one of the reasons that it does stick with you is you watch how far that protagonist went in the course of the story. Mm -hmm. It had that sweeping feel to it. It did. So David, you're reading for the Book and Brew Crew. How do you decide what you are going to read next?
0: So that Inspired Book and Brew Crew, I mean, it is a local thing, but the Facebook group, I really do invite anybody around the country or the world to join that and put out a question of the week you know, I'll ask people, you know, what's, what's the best biographies you've ever read? And so if somebody really raves about one, then, then I hit Goodreads, of course, and just see what's highly rated. And then our library system here, I don't know how good the library systems are everywhere, but our library has an amazing uh, amount of, you know, books that you can just check out on audiobook for free. So I'll just uh, go through the most popular category and just see what's available.
1: So it sounds like you're a big audio listener.
0: Definitely. The only time that I would actually read a paper book is if I feel like I'm going to need to actually take notes as far as like something that's going to actively, I'm going to be implementing in my business. So a true like business strategy book. But other than that, it's all audio because I'm really into cycling. And so I'll put an earbud in one ear and be able to cycle safely. That's the main way that I can consume books.
1: Interesting. Has it always been that way for you? Or is it something you've done recently? Audiobook listenership is up dramatically just over the past few years. It seems to have really caught on, at least in the United States. And I'm wondering if you were ahead of the curve or part of the trend.
0: Um, I would say maybe a little bit ahead of the curve, but I've probably been doing primarily audiobooks for about five or six years. My wife buys me or she'll bring me like these these paper books and they just sit there. Just walking the dog or taking bike rides is just amazing to be able to listen to powerful stories while I'm doing that.
1: Do you find for you that it's a convenience thing? Or have you really found that listening to a skilled narrator tell you the story is more satisfying for you as a reader?
0: I would say that's definitely 50-50. Certain narrators, yeah, just can make a book so much better. Um, again, the, the best ones I've heard are Stephen King books. I don't know. His, his narrators are just 10 out of 10. That format, it just fits my life. I mean, I've had quite a few people recommend the Headspace app, you know, meditate. And I'm like, I don't meditate, but I go for walks and I listen to audiobooks and that's my version of meditation. Book's a little bit slow and dry, then I do more like reflection time and it's just on in the background. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, I'm more excited when the book is just truly like gripping and I'm 100% focused on it. Mm -hmm. But both ways I find value and it ends up being this reflective, you know, meditation time or ideally, it's just an amazing book that I enjoy listening to.
1: Okay. So the books you chose today, are they ones that you read on audio?
0: Yes. Two of them I read on audio.
1: David, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you're reading now. And we will talk about what you may enjoy reading and I think listening to next. Did you have a difficult time choosing your favorites? How did you go about picking them?
0: Um, I would say that it was, it was fairly easy for me to choose. There's a fourth one that's like right in there. That's really recent. Um, that would be in, in kind of this group of books that I love, which I describe as just um, unbelievable nonfiction. I mean, these books just read like suspense thrillers for me personally and and they're true stories. Um, so right away, these three just jumped out as the ones that that after I read them, there was this whole group of people that I was like, you've got to read this one.
1: Do you find that's one of the signs of a great book for you? If you if you finish it and you're looking around going, who can I tell about this title?
0: Definitely. Yep, that would be it. You know, there's a couple cycling buddies, a couple patients that come in and I'm like, I can't wait to see them. I'm going to tell them about this or, or send them a message right away.
1: Well, what did you choose for your first book?
0: So the first book I chose is American Kingpin by Nick Bilton.
1: Uh Uh-huh. This is the one that my husband, Will, read. And he was telling me all about it. I loved Hatching Twitter by Nick Bilton, but I have not read this one.
0: This book is incredible. So, I mean, the basic idea, this is the story of the founding of the Silk Road, which the Silk Road was like this Amazon marketplace for illegal drugs. Um, So, this like super bright, like 24-year-old physics student, we would like him. Before he, he started this thing, he had a little company in Austin called Good Wagon Books. And he and these other kind of volunteers or employees would wander around Austin with wagons and ask people if they had any books they wanted to donate. And some of the books, they would try to sell the books on Amazon or eBay. But then if they weren't able to sell them, they would donate them to prison. So ultimately, this Ross Ulbricht is super driven by libertarian values And he just fundamentally believes that the war on drugs is wrong. It's putting, in his opinion, relatively innocent people in prison and creates drugs that people take that are unsafe. And he's smart enough to teach himself the coding that he is able to create this online marketplace um, essentially single-handedly. And within a couple of years, this thing blows up to where it has a million users buying and selling drugs. So, I mean, during that time period, a person could just get on this and order like 10 pills of ecstasy and they'd show up in a little manila envelope. There's like multiple agencies that close in on him. What's striking there is just the ineptitude of these people. I mean, they they refuse to work together. I, I don't know. It just turns into this suspense book. This Ross Ulbricht, the main character, makes some some decisions that we would say that's, that's reprehensible. But in his mind, I mean, he believed what he was doing was fundamentally good. Basically, the ends justified the means. So in his mind, Ross was like, this is a crusade to make the world better by legalizing drugs and creating a free drug marketplace. I don't know. I would just say that I love books that cross genres and have multiple themes. This book has like this awkward romance. It has a mentorship and friendship theme, um, leadership, teamwork. Again, it's a suspense thriller. And then there's, there's this whole ethical dilemma. These uh, multiple agencies are closing in, and I won't give anything away, but a couple of the people that are in these agencies end up becoming corrupt. And so there's this ethical dilemma where you're like, the bad guy believes he's good, and the good guys are bad.
1: (laughs) It is such a good book. I just loved it. I haven't read the book. I've listened to multiple podcasts about The Silk Road So many readers, I imagine, will know the story, even if they haven't read this specific story. But you said you like books that read like suspense thrillers. And I won't say exactly what happens, but this book ends with a showdown in a library, Mm -hmm. which I am definitely intrigued by.
0: Oh, it's amazing. I loved it.
1: Okay, so that's American Kingpin by Nick Bilton. David, what did you choose for your second personal favorite?
0: Uh, The second book that I would choose as a favorite is Ship of Gold in the Deep Blue Sea. Uh, that's by Gary Kinder. It was recommended by this patient that we we kind of had our own little book recommendation club. He's a chief financial officer at a local company. And when he came in, I'd just be like, what are you reading? And he recommended this book. And so I was like, all right, I'll read it. Have you read this one? No, I've not. Okay. so, So in 1857, this steam liner it's a Central America steamliner, liner, steam whaling basically up from Panama to like Virginia, let's say. But it's, it has 600 passengers on board. Oh, and then it also has over 500 millions in gold in it. And it ends up in this hurricane off the coast of the Carolinas, ends up sinking. The book jumps back and forth between the story of this sinking. Ultimately, over 400 people pass away. But the others survive. And so the, the story of the sinking of the ship is very well documented. And I mean, that portion of the book will just put your stomach in your throat. I mean, it's, it's incredible, the story. But then you jump forward, the other half of the book, it jumps forward to 1984. And this incredibly bright, um, just kind of mad scientist character. He's based out of Columbus, Ohio. He's just an incredible inventor, but he's also very charismatic. But ultimately, he convinces a group of investors to invest millions of dollars into this deep sea recovery. And the ship is down at 8,000 feet. So the technology isn't even in place to recover the ship. And somehow he convinces these people in, like, you know, a landlocked city to drop just, you know, millions of dollars on this. The present day story also just, I mean, it's suspense and thriller. And there's, There's other people closing in on this shipwreck. This book has breath-holding moments that I would say it's really incredible and just a fascinating story.
1: That does sound fascinating. Uh, What Should I Read Next listener recommended a book to me that sounds along those same lines, which makes me think I might find this fascinating. That's called The Shadow Divers. Is that a book you know?
0: I did. I read that based on a similar recommendation. Somebody said, oh, if you Uh love that one, you've got to read Shadow Divers. And I agree. That one was, was almost as good. But oh, the one little caveat there is like if you start reading this, you're going to be tempted to Google, you know, the story. But um, there's spoilers as soon as you Google because, I mean, the book has its own scandals. You know, the scandals don't end at the end of the book.
1: (laughs) Thank you for the warning. That's much appreciated. What did you choose to round out your favorites, David?
0: My third one is Elon Musk by Ashley Vance. After reading this book and then continuing to read the articles about Elon Musk, I mean, I just feel convinced that this is basically the progress story of our lifetime. I mean, you know, the thing that if you're just paying attention to the cars or you think, oh, he's just about solar and he's just putting solar roofs, I mean, everything he's doing fundamentally goes back to this audacious goal of like colonizing Mars as a backup plan. And every decision that he makes fundamentally is like evaluating it based on that criteria. Does this take us a step closer to traveling to Mars And does this help to save the world? You know, the interesting thing, he actually would be a total jerk to work for. I don't think that I would want to be around him. But I mean, his goals are so powerful that he is able to inspire his people to do just these most incredible things. Repeatedly in his career, he would run these companies and he would set these deadlines. He would basically be like, this goal is so important and so important to me that I'm willing to work 18 hours a day on this. And he'd look around and he'd say, I have 50 people and all of them are as excited about this as I am. And they'll work 18 hours a day on this. Needless to say, not everybody can function at 18 hours a day, even if the goal is worthy. And so he would miss these deadlines by pretty long amounts of time. But, you know, at the end of the day, he got these things done. I don't know. For me, it just read in a very fast paced way where I felt like I cared about the people in the book. So
1: interesting. Do you find you read a lot of biography?
0: Uh, it varies. I mean, I jump around, but certainly if somebody if somebody convinces me that one is great, I certainly do love a good biography.
1: David, tell me about a book that wasn't for you.
0: Okay, so the book is The Devil in the White City, and this is by Eric Larson. Uh, again, I, apparently I do get a lot of recommendations from patients, but I had this architect in my office, and we got talking books. And he explained that the most recent book he'd read is This Devil in the White City. And he said, this is like the quintessential architect's book. Basic idea is that for this 1893 Chicago World's Fair, these group of architects were tasked with taking this marshland that just should not have been anything, nothing should have been built on it, and building this colossal World's Fair with all these grand structures and like the biggest Ferris wheel in the world. So these architects are working on this audacious goal. And then simultaneously, you know, a few blocks away, there's this serial killer named uh, H.H. Holmes, and he's a doctor. He's super charismatic and personable. He kind of piecemeal builds this hotel that has, like, secret rooms and secret passageways. And I think it even has a chute that he can trap people in a room and then drop them down a chute into this, like, torture room, an incinerator in the basement. As the World's Fair is going on, there's all these people coming to town, and he's able to basically you know, trap these people and murder them. You know, this guy told me the story and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is going to be such an intense read, mainly because of the subject matter. But then I thought knowing that this was an architect's book, I thought I'd be able to step into the mindset of an architect and appreciate that part more. I started reading the book and if I had to describe Eric Larson's writing style, I would say it's like he plops words on the page. I mean, it just, (laughs) I mean... (sighs) It was written as passionately as like an instruction manual for a toaster. There was no suspense. I don't know. He wasn't able to make me care about the characters in any way. And I kept reading because the story is like just astounding. But, you know, by the end, I was mad. I was like, this is the biggest wasted opportunity in this unbelievable nonfiction category ever. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I still almost recommend that people read it if they like like true crime and they like mm-hmm. a good nonfiction story, but it made me mad by the end.
1: Okay. You like your good nonfiction stories to read like suspense thrillers, like the ones you've chosen all have pretty brisk pacing to move along. Where. Eric Larson moves more like a textbook that people that love history class read after they graduated.
0: That would be accurate. Okay.
1: Because the people who love Eric Larson love Eric Larson. His books have sold I over know. 6 million copies, which is a ton. Ooh, and Eric Larson fans will want to know that he has a new book coming out on March 3rd called The Splendid and the Vile. It's about Churchill and World War II. So readers, if you are an Eric Larson fan, put that on your list. What are you reading right now, David?
0: I am reading Killing the SS.
1: The one about the war criminals.
0: Yeah, Nazi war criminals and just the hunting of them. I had read Killing the Rising Sun, which was really, I mean, I found that really interesting. I just feel like I always know more about World War II from the perspective of Europe the power of one is another book that you know that opened my eyes to say okay like here's what happened in South Africa during World War 2 you know that was an eye opener but killing the rising sun was another one that it was like whoa this is something i didn't know as much about um i actually have a little idea for a book that I'd like to write someday. I've never read a great book that's really set in the the Nazis that are hiding in Argentina after World, World War II. And so I have kind of an idea for a book that I've been toying with and just kind of working with an outline in my head. And so,
1: okay. Is there anything you'd like to be different in your reading life?
0: You know, I struggle to think of this because I'd love for you just to recommend an amazing nonfiction book, but it would be fun to have a book that makes me laugh out loud. My wife recently read the book You. Have you heard of this one? No. Who's this by? It's a super popular Netflix show or basically.
1: (gasps) Oh, oh, wait. I think my hairstylist actually told me that she hated this book. Is it like a thriller? Starts with the bookstore interaction gone horribly wrong.
0: Correct. Yes. I would hear her like snort and laughed out loud from the other room. I'd like a book that does that for me. And I did actually finally pick up a David Sedaris book and there was a couple little chuckles, but I don't know. I've never, I was trying to think if there's any other book that's truly made me laugh out loud. So if you happen to have something like that, um, I'd certainly be open to it.
1: Maybe you didn't find the dysfunctional family relatable, like many, many people do.
0: Mm, the David Sedaris?
1: Yeah. Which one was it? Do you know?
0: I started with something about owls and then I made it through a portion of Me Talk Pretty Someday. They were good. It just, I don't know. It didn't connect with me.
1: Okay. I loved his last one, uh, Calypso. I think I was snorting reading about his Mm -hmm. family's beach home. But the thing about funny books is it has to do so much, like you said, with how you as a reader connect to the material or don't. David, I think we could maybe find you something funny that you could relate to that is still like firmly in your nonfiction happy place. I don't know if it's going to be funny and still read like a suspense thriller, but I think you could find it interesting and funny. All right. David, for your favorites, you chose American Kingpin by Nick Bilton, Ship of Gold in a Deep Blue Sea by Gary Kinder, and The Elon Musk Biography by Ashley Vance. So I love the way that you characterize the books that you know you enjoy. Unbelievable nonfiction that reads like suspense thrillers. So Devil in the White City, not for you, because it didn't read like a suspense thriller. I also like the way you highlighted that you like books that cross genres, that have multiple themes. I noticed that they do also have a faster pace. They have stories that keep you moving. they th- These are all books that tell great stories, even if they're true stories. And so I think for you, what we want, in addition to finding a funny book, is a book about a topic you just didn't know you were interested in reading about until you read a book that showed you how fascinating it could be, like Ship of Gold in a Deep Blue Sea, or a fascinating book about a topic you know you're interested in. Does it sound like I'm on the right track?
0: That sounds perfect.
1: It seems that you're interested in people, how we behave, what we can do, what we can create, and historically where we've been. Definitely. Okay, we got choices.
0: <laughs>
1: when I think about your book idea and the specific themes you're interested in, my mind goes to World War II nonfiction I've read, or, you know, even the fiction. Like, I'm thinking of Georgia Hunter's We Were the Lucky Ones, based on her family's real life story. You know, actually, David, that is a novel based on Georgia's true family story. All the characters track with people in her family. And I think you may enjoy reading that. She has a a relative who escaped to, I believe it's Brazil. But the book that I thought you might want to read, it's not on audio, but I think that's okay for you here. A nonfiction book that is about how and why these Nazi war criminals ended up taking refuge in South America and specifically Argentina. It's a book called The Real Odessa, How Perón Brought the Nazi War Criminals to Argentina. Is this a book you know, David?
0: I have done research on what books are out there about, about that time period. And I think I came across that name. And so it probably is in my want to read list on Goodreads.
1: It's by Uki Gonyi. And it's a big, thick book. This is more textbook than not. And again, it's not available on audio, but I can see this being a book that does a great job of diving into a topic that fascinates you. But I can also see this being something that you would want to mark up and take notes on, like you said that you do do with some of your nonfiction reads. This book is by an Argentinian writer, and he traces the history of why Argentina? How did so many war criminals, including um, Eichmann, is generally considered to be the worst. Mm -hmm. Why did he end up specifically there? Because he says it was not an accident. The information in this book was suppressed in Argentina the book has been updated recently. There's new information in light of new documents and history that has come to light. And I think this could really get you thinking, give your fiction writing mind some facts to latch onto as you get to developing that seed of a novel. Does that sound like something you're interested in exploring?
0: It definitely does at some point. I believe I will read it for sure.
1: Okay, I just did a little googling, which I don't usually do during the show, but I need—I didn't know about this audiobook interest, David, and I want to make sure I get it right. This one is narrated by Conan O'Brien, Stephen King, Dave Eggers, and John Stewart. The book is "Assassination Vacation" by Sarah Vowell. Do you know this book, David?
0: No, but as soon as as soon as you said Stephen King, I'm like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> so.
1: Well, this may not be what you're thinking. Sarah Vowell is an NPR commentator who is. A little bit cultural historian, a little bit comedian. She tells a great story. This book is read by the author, but she also has a lot of special guests, including Stephen King. And she writes books with great and funny titles like Lafayette and the Somewhat United States. The Partly Cloudy Patriot. And her personal collection of stories is called Take the Cannoli, Stories from the New World. This book, Assassination Vacation, has been called a beach read for history geeks.
0: Okay, that sounds that sounds up my alley then.
1: The setup here is that she decides that she's interested in history. She has certain things she wants to write about. She doesn't know how to put it together. So what she decides to do is take a road trip to visit the sites that are in any way relevant to presidential assassinations that actually succeeded. And then some that didn't. She skips JFK entirely, but the ones she focuses on are Garfield, McKinley, and Lincoln. So she goes to sites that are ever so slightly related. I mean, she goes to the big locations, of course, like she visited the theater where Lincoln was shot. But Mm -hmm. she also goes to museums, statues, libraries, fields that are believed to have artifacts or connections to the assassination, historic sites, anything that has anything to do with The Assassination. Mm. And it sounds like it would read as kind of discordant and incoherent, but she does really succeed in bringing it together into a cohesive narrative. And she's writing about serious parts of American history, obviously tragedies in American history. And yet... The way she relates the story and her adventures and her interactions with people helping her, um, some wittingly, some just happen to be manning the desk at the museum, but her ear for detail and just her wit in relating the conversation she has with people who may or may not care about her quest. They're so funny. Mm. How does this sound to you?
0: I think that one sounds awesome.
1: I'm happy to hear it because this is the kind of book that I think maybe you didn't know you wanted to read until you pick it up and start reading it and think, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this is what my reading life has been missing. But the audiobook has received high praise. The cast of narrators is fantastic. They obviously put a great deal of effort into producing a book that was enjoyable to read in this particular format. And even before I knew that, I thought this is sounding like a good pick for you.
0: No, that sounds great. And I don't think I would have come up with that. Through my own searches ever. So I appreciate it.
1: Next, I'm thinking about doing a wild truth is stranger than fiction real life story. Is that a good start? That sounds great. I'll let it speak for itself. It's called Conspiracy, it's by Ryan Holiday. It came out last summer. The subtitle is Peter Thiel, Hulk Hogan, Gawker, and the Anatomy of Intrigue. Do you know anything at all about the demise of Gawker? because that is at the heart of this story.
0: No, I haven't heard anything about that.
1: Gawker Media shut down in 2016. It happened on very short notice. I was surprised at the time. I had no idea why. This book answers the reason why, and it is a conspiracy, and this is the story of how that came to be. Here's the short version that is laid out in this 11-hour and 39-minute highly rated nonfiction book read by the author on audio. I did this on hardcover myself. In 2007... A blog post went up on Gawker Media outing PayPal founder Peter Thiel as gay. He did not consider himself to be a public man. He thought that was a private matter. He felt deeply victimized that this information was published. Just, he felt, to be mean. Mm. This might sound disproportional, but he truly felt that Gawker media was bad for humanity and should be shut down and he was going to make it happen. And this is the story how he quietly moved behind the scenes, watched the signs, waited for his moment, a moment that involves Hulk Hogan, believe it or not to bring a lawsuit against Gawker Media that resulted in a multi, I mean, in the hundreds of millions of dollar judgment against Gawker. They filed bankruptcy. They did close. He wanted to do it without anyone knowing that didn't quite work out or there wouldn't be a book with Peter Thiel in the subtitle of this conspiracy story. But this is the truth is stranger than fiction story of the Conspiracy to take down Gawker, and also the story of how word got out, and we know that this happened, and now can read about it. Does that interest you?
0: It sounds perfect. It sounds like the exact type of book that I would like. So, definitely excited to read that
1: one. Something that I am still surprised about talking about this book and reading this book myself is how Ryan Holiday got access to all the people who told their stories, all the information. I mean, all these people chose to talk to him and share the story so he could tell it in this format. So don't miss the introduction. Don't miss the afterward. There's a lot here. And for a story that crosses genres, has multiple themes and reads like a thriller, I think this might be the ticket for you. No, that sounds perfect. I did not expect to be talking about that book today, Davin, but you never know how Uh. these conversations are going to go. So we talked about The Real Odessa, How Perón Brought the Nazi War Criminals to Argentina by Uki Gonyi. We talked about Assassination Vacation by Sarah Vowell. And finally, Conspiracy, Peter Thiel, Hulk Hogan, Gawker, and The Anatomy of Intrigue by Ryan Holiday. David, of those three books, what do you think you will read next?
0: I would say that I would choose Assassination Vacation. I'm ready for something a little bit different, so...
1: All right. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. I hope you'll come tell us. And thanks so much for talking books with me today. Thank you. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with David, and I'd love to hear what you think he should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 204, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. In the meantime, catch our new Friday episode of One Great Book, our sister show where each week I pull a favorite title off my personal bookshelves and tell you all about it in 10 minutes or less. Listen to One Great Book wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Twitter, let me know there, at Ann Bogle, that is Ann with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Remember that What Should I Read Next Instagram account is where you'll find the 200 club posts that you can repost when you've listened to the first 200 episodes. Be sure to tag us at What Should I Read Next when you post yours. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. If you're not on the list, you can fix that now by visiting whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly delivery. This is a good time of year to be subscribed because event season is kicking into gear. That's whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Begachek readers that's it for this episode thanks so much for listening and as Reiner Maria Rilke said ah how good it is to be among people who are reading happy reading everyone